Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Um, Your name, where you're from, your pronouns, what you're all about. Okay. Um, well, hi, I'm Laura, um, uh, Laura Fiala, my last name out there. Yeah. And, um, I'm in the Phoenix Metro area in Arizona. So specifically I live in in Mesa and I, I try to stay on the East side of Phoenix because you, it can take an hour and a half plus to drive from one side of Phoenix to the other. Oh, really? So I, we have a fantastic birth community here and I don't know, I'm not needed on like that side. Um, my dog is trying to be a part of this. She's very, um, she's very supportive. <laughs> um, and so I have been in birth work for about six years and, um, I started after the birth of my first son, um, when I was pregnant, um, with my first, my husband and I took a Bradley class, Bradley method class. Um, we were, um, we were doing some, we'll step back a little farther. We were doing some group prenatal visits with the midwifery group I was with. Um, we were with a hospital group and one of them advice was like, Oh yeah, just come do this, um, group and that'll be enough education for you. Um, it's like your education and your prenatals all in one. And I was like, fantastic. And then about, um, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through class, we had, they rotated midwives. So different midwives would come in and we had one midwife come in and she's like very blunt. And she's like, if you want an unmedicated birth, you need to take a class outside of this. And I was like, um, okay, well, I guess I'm signing up for a class because that was my goal. Um, my mom had some not great birth stories with my sister and I. And so it was like, I just wanted something different. So, um, I went and signed up for um, a Bradley class because it was, you know, touted as for natural childbirth. And, and so that's what we did. And there were some weeks that we went to class basically twice because uh, we would go to our, our group prenatal, and then we would go to Bradley 
class at the end of the week kind of thing. And so, um, and after we got, I ended up having a really great birth in the hospital and had to use some tools. I used a lot of tools that we learned in Bradley, but, um, I talked, you know, it's like we had a nurse that was not super supportive. And so had used some stuff that it was like, okay, you have to stop. Like we're okay. Like learning how to stand up for myself. And, mm. um, my husband was super helpful and really on board. Um, I had a really great birth. And afterwards I was like, oh my God, I have to tell all the people about this. Um, and I had gone to school to be a teacher before I had my kids and realized that elementary education was where I thought I wanted to be, was not where I wanted to be. <laughs> Parents and school districts and principals and whatnot are ooh, too much for me. Um, don't get paid enough to, <laughs> to, um, to run in that circle. So God bless the teachers. Um, but I was like, this is something I can do. I still wanted to teach. And so when my youngest or my only at that time, he was nine months old um, and they had a workshop that they were hosting in the Phoenix area. And I went and he came with me for the majority of the time. My husband came in the evenings and would take him for the evening portions. Um, but I had a pack and play in class with me. <laughs> like we did it. We got, we got through it. Um, and I started teaching and, um, as much as I loved my class, after getting into it, I realized that the instructor that I had had put in a ton of time on her own to make the class what it was. And I was just, I was like, this is, you did not give me, well, I was not prepared to teach like going into it. Right. And I came into it in this like, you know, like, idealistic world of like, you take this class and you can go into the hospital and have this beautiful birth. And I kept having people coming back and being like, we had this happen or that happened. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And so the more that I'm like, okay, well, I'll just make the class better. Like I'll add stuff, even though we're not supposed to add things, we weren't supposed like, I'm going to add things. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to like, um, I'm going to step up the game. And so I found evidence-based birth. And so I adored everything that Rebecca Decker was doing. Um, she's still one of my favorite people in the birth world. Mm -hmm. And um, they had a seminar one night on um, how to become an instructor. And I walked out, of, I walked, I listened, I asked a ton of questions and I walked out, it was like a Zoom call. And I walked out and I told my husband, I wanna spend a bunch of money. Are you okay with that? <laughs> um, and cause their training wasn't, I, they, I, their structures changed. And I, I, and so at that time the training wasn't, it wasn't cheap. And so I was like, but yeah. it was something that I was like, I walked off that, I got off that call and it was like, every bone in my body was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where, like, this is what I want to teach. I want the evidence to give to my families and be, let them make the choice, but like, they need to have this knowledge and this foundation to back it up on it. And so at the time they didn't have their full length class. They just had like you could take this much of it and imprint it or like incorporate it in whatever you were teaching. And so that's what I did. I like rearranged the schedule of what I was teaching. And I was like, okay, pause. This is not Bradley anymore. This is, this is EBB. And, and then I would teach and I was just like, but it was really hard because I technically was not supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm not with Bradley. I'm not a Bradley instructor anymore. And so I don't, I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do to me, but, um, so be it if that tells anybody helps anybody else out there it's not a money i would it's not a company i would invest my money in <laughs> um but 
their logic is good, but it's just their follow through is they don't, the back end is not there. And so, um, and they've had instructors trying to help them. And it was just something yeah. I was like, I don't have to fight for this. I want something that's great. And when, but I had another instructor in my community that was very tight with the people that were there. And so it was like, it was really hard for me to be in two camps because I couldn't speak it out that I needed, that I want was part of two. So um, when the time came that um, Rebecca released a full length childbirth class, I was like, bye Bradley, this is what I'm doing because it, the class is fantastic. Um, I teach it six weeks. I, I'm, I'm still teaching. Um, I've been teaching that class for the last three years. Um, and I have almost every parent that comes through, I would say is more well-versed at the end of six weeks than they were at the end of 12 weeks of Bradley. Um, yeah, Bradley, I feel like is just absolutely incredible that parents sign up to go once a week for 12 weeks. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a commitment. I don't know how people well and out, let's be honest, it's privilege. Yeah, it is. It totally is. Right. Like you're obviously designing this class for a very specific type of family mm-hmm. that has access to figure out work, childcare, cost, time of life for 12 straight weeks yeah. together to come to this childbirth class. So it's not really very accessible. No, it's not. And so EDD is a flipped model classroom. So I love it. Yeah. They do like an hour or so a week at home on their own. And then we meet for two hours, the first and last week and an hour in between. And I'm like my zoom calls. I'm like, if you can't make it, I'll record it for you. And I'm like, I tell them, I'm like, I'm only sharing it with the people in this class. It won't go anywhere else. Please ask your questions. Everyone feels comfortable. And it's just, it's a great setup. It's a great, it's a great community. And I've put it out there that I'm like, if you need help with costs, please let me know. But you know, what's really interesting about that too, is that it's what families put into it is what they're going to get out of it as well. I mean, we know that the evidence-based birth curriculum is great, but like you said, like it's work that you do on your own and then you come together to discuss it versus another class where you sit in front of them and just regurgitate information at their faces Mm -hmm. every week. Um, and and so if someone's really in it, they're in it. If they're not, they're not. And on, you know, at eight o'clock at night, after you've been talked to for 45 minutes, it's like the whole last half of class is totally like, Nope. Maybe I caught a little bit. And so it's just, (laughs) they just don't retain it at all. Yeah. So it's just weird. Anyways. Um, so I taught, was teaching for quite a while and um I was taking trainings I would oh I'd show up to trainings and I'd be like the only childbirth educator there um and everyone else it's all doulas and I'm just like I'm like I'm just gonna I want to incorporate stuff into my class and um Gina Kirby's workshop was the one that finally pushed it over the edge and the way she teaches and talks about birth I came home and I was like so I want to do a thing. <laughs> so my husband was like, okay. And at that point, my kids were um, both a little bit older. And um, I think my youngest was two at the time. So in the process, I've had another child. Um, so I have two boys. There's now are six and four. Um, and so um, I was like, I want to be, I want to follow my students into birth. And that's really what the drive was. It wasn't like to take on this 
whole giant slew of doula clients that I'm only seeing once before birth. Like I wanted to get to know them. I wanted them to be a part of my class and then to be able to follow them through. And the majority of the doula clients that I've taken on, if that's the case, like they take my class, they, then I follow them through. Cause that's what it was like. I, people were coming back and I'm like, they just needed someone that was there to like help give them that little remind extra push, them reminder, of that right? thing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I had a client the other day as a doula who, um, well, I guess it wasn't the other day, but we met and at our first prenatal visit, we were just kind of covering a few things. And I was like, so which childbirth class did you guys do the first time around after they told me about their traumatic hospital birth? And they were like, oh, you know, hypnobirthing. And I'm like, well, what happened? Well, I mean, I like the hypnobirthing course and, and you're totally. telling me that you were like screaming in the bathtub and I'm like, what, what happened? And, and they were, and they were like, we just totally forgot. Yeah. Like everything that was taught to us was just well, gone. gone. And they're kind of like, I feel like if I had had a doula to just go, let's remember those breathing. Hey, you're, you're okay. Let's come back to that. Yeah. That we would have been great. Right? right. And it is sometimes that, I mean not only partners can't always be responsible for that. They deserve their own experience in birth too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and that was it. That was the stories that were coming back. And I feel very privileged that I got the birth that I had with my first because that doesn't happen in the hospital. I mean, I walked in at a six as a first time mom, pushed the baby out three hours later, like I labored at home for a long time before I, it was just like all this, it was just this textbook birth that I feel really grateful for, but it didn't prepare me for like what most first time moms go through. Um, or a lot of first time moms anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, so at some point, um, I was asked to, um, had a birth center that I was working with, um, as a doula and I knew a lot of their, I knew their home birth midwives and whatnot, they were looking for assistance. And so to assist the home birth midwives. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds good. I'm just like this knowledge junkie. I'm like, you give me a course, you give me something and I'll like, I just want to take them all. And so, um, and so I went and I was like, I want to, I want to do this assistant thing. I want to, I wanted to be more in home birth and in the doula world here, um, that is one thing that I feel like it's a little hard to break into home birth. Um, COVID's actually helped a little bit because for doulas to support home birth or to break into being the birth assistant. So to break in as a doula into home birth here, it's like the home Hmm. birth midwives. I love the vast majority of them, but they have their short list of doulas that they've worked with. Oh, right. So, right. So it's like, unless you like know, unless you find a mom somehow, like outside of that, if they're looking for a doula, then usually they take the recommendations of their midwives, um, which then also creates this great bubble when you have this birth, because it's like the doulas have worked with the midwives and it's like, they have this, like, they know how each other works and whatnot. Or and so, the midwives have been screwed over by a doula once or twice. That too. Yes. And they're That's like, totally never it. again, <laughs> like yeah. never again. Will I trust this? You know, I was at a birth one time where legit, the doula was like giving the birthing person homeopathics behind the midwife's back. Yeah. And okay. Homeopathics, like they're going to really make that big of a deal, but like, just tell the midwife, just right? say, Hey, by the way, yeah. I already have been giving her Arnica for the past six hours. Like, just say it. You like, right? let's be a team. Is, yeah. Cause when you don't, the midwife is like, never again, totally never again. Yeah. And so like, it's, it's hard to break into the birth world, um, into the home birth world as a doula is what I, is what I was finding. 
And so the home birth, the assist side, which I think is also, it's not easy to break into. Like I needed, I like knew somebody that knew somebody and I like kind of like knew, like I was in the world. So if I can give any advice to people like off, off that as a doula, as a childbirth educator, as a student is to, to learn your community, to like go to events, to mingle, to socialize, to, um, like get your face known. And I have been told that a lot of times they're like, how do you show up to everything? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just I have to like, I, and so, but it helped me because it's like the midwives that were offering this training. They're like, oh yeah, I know Laura. Like, and so I got, was able to be a part of this home birth, um, team and they were just looking for assistance. This, like this practice mainly does assist and they do a pretty high volume. And so, um, once I finally got into it, um, I was like, oh my God, this is where I need to be. Like, it was just this, this switch that flipped. And I was like, this is it. This is, I want to do what she's doing. Um, and I didn't get that in the hospital because hospital providers are different and OBs are not midwives. And, (laughs) um, and so like really being in a home birth setting, um, where I had, was helping. I'm like, I'm the second. So I like have to know what's going on because I don't, it's not safe for this mom. If I don't know what's going on or how to help the midwife, you know, I don't need to know the things, but I have to understand what she's asking for. And, and so I was like, I want to do this. And it all kind of coincided with, um, the doula training I had taken was through the Matrona. Um, and this is this wonderful older midwife named Wapio, um, teaches courses. She was a midwife for like 30 years, unlicensed um it's just fantastic and amazing and she had was offering this birth keepers um cohort and it's a year-long program um and it was like an accelerated version of her midwifery curriculum and so I had signed up for that shortly after starting to assist and it was the kind of the collision of the two where I was like this is what I want to do like this is where I need to be and, and um I need to be a midwife. And so I knew I wanted to be in birth work and I hope to be here for quite a while, but, um, and so I started looking into resources and options and I felt really called to be, to stay with the program that I was with, um, which the Matrona is not an accredited program. Um, and so I was going to go, the, the PEP process was the, was the, um, was my choice. And so that's the journey that I'm on right now. Um, and so I've had a, um, so I started with, I had reached out to a few midwives that I was like, are you looking for students trying to find a preceptor? Cause it's basically like, you got to get, you get in it and are, are in births and, you know, the didactics is for you to figure out in PEP is the way I've taken it. And, and I was like, that's fine. I'm doing the didactic work. And so, and so I started reaching out to some midwives and I reached out to a few and it was like, they're like, it's just not the right time for us. Or we already have students. Or I just, I had two incidences where they're like, we just brought on a new student. And I was like, if I'd asked you a week ago and it's like, so I was like, okay, is this really where I should be? And so I reached out to a midwife that I was like, I'm fairly positive. She doesn't have students. I don't know the last time she actually had a student and we had known each other from different circles from being in the birth world. And so she was like, yeah, let's have, um, let's go have, we went for smoothies. And so she said, let's go, um, let's chat and see if this will work. And so we chatted and, um, 
she's such a doll and uh, but she's never had a student before and so it's been an interesting learning experience uh, and she forewarned me up front she's like my practice is super slow right now like mm-hmm. she had taken some time off because covid was crazy here and as it is everywhere and but our home birth midwives just got slammed and so she um, and she had had some difficult things come up in her practice. And so she had taken some time off. So she's like, I'm kind of rebuilding, but she's been a midwife for 10 years. And so um, I was like, okay, well, I start slow somewhere. Um, and so I started working with her. I started going to prenatals. We started doing, and <laughs> birth after birth after birth transferred. And so we <laughs> have had so many transfers. It has been crazy. Um, so let's back up just a teeny bit because I want to hear, so you're with PEP, you did PEP because you loved your Matrona doula training, but you knew that the Matrona's midwifery training wasn't accredited in Arizona, right? It's not accredited, like with whatever the, it's not, it's not meek accredited. So it's not Mm -hmm. just Arizona. It's like, yeah. It's like, if it's not meek, then why do a training like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but I was already in love with it. So (laughs) yeah. How are you with PEP? So for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, can you give a description about what the performance evaluation process is? Yeah. So, um, it's, you have to put together of a portfolio basically of births. So there's four phases. Um, the first phase is 10 births and it's like, you can be there in any capacity. So I was done with phase one before I started because, um, it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be like a certified preceptor or anything there. It's just anybody, you know, if the janitor was changing the trash can in the corner of the room, when she was birthing, he could sign off, you know, that, that kind of, it doesn't matter. So for the most part, it was parents that signed off for me or for some of the training births that I was doing, um, when I was training to become a, uh, birth assist or the births that I ended up using, but there are, there are midwives, there's student midwives. Um, there's one that I'm working with right now. Um, well, I have worked with, I guess, um, that she's, has been to no births and is coming in and that's like her first experience. And so she's, she's just observing. So it's a, an observe phase. Um, phase two is assisting is what they call it. And that's where I'm at. I'm towards, I'm getting towards the end of phase two. Um, and you have to do 20 births. And so it's, I'm, don't quote me on all this, but it's about, it's 20 births, 20 prenatals, 20 newborn exams, and like 10 postpartum visits or something like that, which everything outside of the birth, I'm already like far exceeded. Right. Um, because I guess births and newborns exams, cause they kind of go hand in hand there, but um, and to do those, you have to be with a certified preceptor. So the preceptor has to be certified with NARM, which is the organization that runs the PEP process. And they do that. They do the meek accreditation too. It's just a different pathway to go through them. Um, these three is, um, you are the primary. And so you have, I believe it's, it's 20 or 25 births and you have like 75 prenatals and it's like all the numbers are more. And you have to be in a leadership role in anything that you're doing. So you have, you're the one catching baby and your preceptor is like behind you, like making sure it's still her license or their license that you're practicing under, but, um, you're the one that's taking a primary role. Um, 
And then phase four is five births. So you can submit to take the NARM, which is the giant test at the end, um, after you complete phase three. And then phase four is five additional births in a primary capacity. So, so why did you choose PEP over meat? Like over meek, because we've got, you know, Midwives College of Utah, National Midwifery Institute, uh, National College of Midwifery at the time, birthwise, uh, yeah. you know. So, what was your reasoning? So, a big part of it was cost. Um, I didn't have a desire to put a ton of money into a meek accredited program when I was already taking what I feel, I still feel like the Matrona is a really solid program. Sure. The midwifery part of it is a two-year journey. You have to show that you're completing births. Um, they run off of, I have a slew of midwifery textbooks sitting over here, Varney, Fry, you know, um, lots of anatomy stuff. And so it didn't feel to me like I wanted to put all of the extra money into Meek when I was not, I didn't feel like I was going to get more out of it than I was already getting from somewhere else. And for us in the state where I'm at, Meek's not required. Like you're not required to, you're required to sit for NARM. So to get licensed in Arizona, you have to have, you have to sit for NARM um, and pass that test, but you don't have to, you don't have to have a Meek accredited, accredited school education. Mm -hmm. Um, which they're talking about potentially changing, but I don't, there are midwifery laws here are kind of whack and really outdated. Um, yeah, we'll get into that later. I want to hear yeah. all about this Arizona transfer Pitocin BS yeah, that it's, I'm hearing about. It's so. ridiculous. Um, I, I'm sure maybe Augustine sounds like Augustine spilled you in a little bit because she had lots of things to say at the conference I took with her this summer. She was like, you yeah, can't well, that. we, I mean, I interviewed a lot of people, right? Yeah. And um, I interviewed for Augustine and I was actually like one of the people that like told her that. And she's like, what? I need to talk to these yeah. Arizona people, you know? But mm -hmm. so um, what... I mean, if they did introduce something regarding Meek, they would probably have a bridge for the PEP people anyways. That's the hope is that there's some kind of bridge because that's what they've done in the past. The state, mm -hmm. if you look at our state history, um, LMs have, were able to become, um, were able to keep their licensure even when they moved to having to have to have a CPM. So the vast majority of our home birth midwives our CPMs, but there, we do still have some LMs out there that are just their licensed midwives. They took the state test, but never got certified with NARM. You can't do that now. So I couldn't walk in and just be like, I just want to take your state test and be a midwife. Like, but they grand, they grand have grandmothered people into the program, to the process. So yeah. that's the hope, but um, my education goals have shifted. And so, um, so I'm actually, so after working through some of this stuff, um, and going through the PEP process, um, and part partly taking Augustine's class and talking with, we have a handful of CNMs, um, that are, uh, that do home birth here. Um, my goal actually at this point is to become a CNM. And so, um, so you're going to finish PEP. I'm going to finish PEP. Um, and While. the reason, sorry, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing it's at you. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. just like, <laughs> I hear it's you. a little wild and it's a little crazy, but I have, um, my education background didn't lead to a lot of science classes. Um, right. you know, my, my, my required science class when I, uh, was astronomy in college. And so, yeah. um, I had a lot of science classes to take in order to, um, get into the nursing program. Why? And, uh, 
why are you wanting to shift from becoming a CPM, a certified professional midwife, um, which can go through pepper or meek in order to pass Mm -hmm. the NARM and then license to a certified nurse midwife? Like what, what was that shift in you to, I mean, I know you mentioned it was at Augustine's conference a little bit, but, um, what, what was the biggest reason? So, um, part of it is that I'm actually working. So, so back to my working with this, my first preceptor, Mm -hmm. um, she's had a light client load has been kind of building stuff up. Um, I got, was reached out to by another midwife that I had actually asked to work with before my finding this preceptor. And she said she just brought on a student. Yeah. Um, and she reached out and was like, so I'm looking for a student and I only have, um, I have a pretty light client load and I'm going to be done taking births in, um, November. Well, it was supposed to be December anyways. So it was like going to be done by the end of the year. So the end of this year, she was going to be done taking birth and she's actually on the route to become a CNM. Um, and so talking with her and talking with her about nursing school and the scope of a CNM here in Arizona is so much broader mm-hmm. than a scope of a CPM. Um, the other aspect is with a CNM, I can teach after the fact. And I know there are ways to see, teach with a CPM. And I know there are some wonderful, I mean, Augustine is a prime example of being able to teach with a CPM, but um, teaching is still something that I have a great passion for. I mean, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't know it was going to be adult education when I, um, you know, was 18 and trying to make life decisions. Um, and so the thought of helping change what CNMs look like in the future to make it a more holistic practice is now something that's really desirable to me and something that I want to do. I know there's going to be CPMs out there for lots of time. and I know there's going to be teachers for them, but I feel like the CNMs are getting so medicalized that I want to be the one, I want to be somebody that's like, hi, look, you don't have to yank placentas out and give Pitocin to everybody. Like, which is not all of our CNMs here, but we do have a lot. We do have a good handful of CNMs that I'm like, why aren't you an OB? Or like, that's all of, that's all that you've seen is OB. You've worked with OBs your whole life. And so to have that opportunity to be like, Hey, I'm a CNM that does out of hospital births, or I'm a CNM that does in hospital births, and you can have this look. I don't know where it's going to lead, but a lot of that in me is like it feels like the right path to move mm-hmm. on to, um, which is also another reason that I'm like, I don't know, I've waffled with Meek. Right. But I'm like, it's a lot of money for not a whole lot more outcome, but a CNM is, a, it's a lot of money, but there's a, there's a good, salary differential there. And I mean, even looking at our CPMs versus our CNM out of hospital rates, like our CNMs are getting paid what really what the CPM should be getting paid. Right. But because that's making a livable wage, um, but they're able to do it and demand that price and people don't bat an eye at it. Mm -hmm. They're also able to collect insurance and, or have better ability to collect insurance. Not all of them do, but because their CNMs are recognized um, are recognized. Um, I also really hope to be able to make some change 
and have some way that we can bring either bring that CM certification to the West Coast or to have some other avenue because there should be a way to get into midwifery that does not drive through nursing. And I firmly believe that. But we yeah, don't that's my concern for you listening yeah. to your story, right? <laughs> like that is yeah. like where, and of course, yeah. ev- for those of you who are listening, most of you, if you're a student midwife today, or you're considering becoming a student midwife today, have gone through this battle, this battle between do I go the PEP route, the meek route, or the CNM route? Like that's yeah. the question. That's like the big totally. question. And some of you listening may have already like done all three, right? Like you started in PEP and then you went to Meek and then you went drop from one Meek to another Meek and then you went to CNM instead, or you started at CNM and then you realized in your clinicals in the hospital that you were like, there's no way I could unbrainwash myself from this experience. Yeah. I need to get out now. Yeah. And that's my concern and my question for like how you've, and again, I don't know some of your philosophy and things like that, but there is a big wide understanding within the holistic birth communities that and you know, you, you've been a doula in the hospital yeah. that, you know, it's not always the CNM that's sitting at the edge of the bed that wants to yank that placenta out. Yeah. The institution of the hospital's policies oh, totally. will fire you if you don't. You don't right? right. And so totally. like, how do you feel that's going to affect your journey? I still feel like at some point I will be an out of hospital midwife. Like, I don't foresee me joining a giant hospital practice and spending all my hours, you know, in an L&D room. Um, I don't know how it's going to affect my journey. I don't. And I don't, I'm not trying. And that's part of why I wanted to finish the PEP process Mm -hmm. in case I get a semester in nursing school and I'm like, peace out. This is not my goal. Then I still have something finished. Um, And I can still have not that it's something to fall back on by any means. Like I feel like our CPMs here are amazing and fantastic and know so much. Um, but I have definitely heard them. There are, there are at least several that have told me if we had some kind of CM route here, they would do it in a heartbeat, like in a heartbeat that they would take another two years of a master's program to be able to prescribe medications, to legally be able to carry medications, to, um, be able to charge the rates that they should be charging, but like to be able to have in, bill insurance more efficiently, like all of these things. And we just don't have a pathway. And so yeah, that's definitely like an Arizona struggle though. Yes, it is. You know, is. like in Florida, CPMs are carrying Pitocin, prescribing antibiotics, you know, like doing, you know, and in other yeah. States there it's legal to not only carry Pitocin and methrogen and antibiotics and IV, but also do breaches and twins and yes. BMI and, and, twi- yeah. you know, and all of these, it's like, so you, I'm going to skip around questions, but do you plan yeah. on staying in Arizona, which is why you're yes. like, yeah, I have was born and raised here. We have a ton of family here. Um, it would be very shocking if I left. Yeah. Um, so, so for you, yeah. you're thinking like Arizona future yeah. looks like more autonomy and mm-hmm. ability to serve birthing people as a CNM. Yeah. So, okay. I'll go back to your, sorry. I needed to hear you're that. Good. Like I was like, I feel like this is going somewhere. I need <laughs> yeah. to hear why she chose PEP. And so anyways, <laughs> um, so you were, you chose this preceptor based yeah. on like she was available. Yeah. 
Yeah. Really? Um, and yeah. And so she has been, she's been great. Um, and I don't, I mean, I speak no ill of her, like as a person, she is wonderful and amazing and awesome. And, but it's, she's just not used to having a student. And so, and I feel like I'm so wanted and needed there, but it's also that I am like, I'm not being pushed and challenged because it's just not in, like, it's not her norm and which is totally fine. And I knew that coming in. And so, um, but it's been a great learning experience, like to see how she handles things. Um, she is also like, I am always, I'm a third at births with her. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, um, trying to learn where I fit is also interesting because I'm like, I, so that's been kind of like, am I assistant or am I just charting or am I like, am I doing hard to like, what, where's one of my roles? So, and we've gotten, that's gotten better as births have gone on and whatnot. Um, but it's still just been like, where do I fit as a third? Um, because that's something that she's promised her clients that she has her assist as another midwife that's in the, Oh, so she has a primary midwife, like a senior midwife, a secondary midwife, and then an assistant slash student. Yeah. Is, is that what is what the setup is right now? Hmm. And so, which has also been nice though, because it's always put this, like, if I don't make a birth, I'm not leaving her in the lurch by any means, which I haven't missed any births with her, but, um, it's been kind of like, you know, for, if my life it's my life is a little crazy. And so it's been that nice kind of like a little security blanket that I'm like, okay, well, I'm a third. So if I'm not there, it's not like the end of the world kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so this other midwife reached out, um, you know, a couple months into my journey and was like, I'm looking for, um, actually her, her student, her senior student that had just finished an arm reached out to me and was like, I think you would make a really good fit with this midwife. Are you, and like cool. the, she had put the, the midwife had put the word out there, like she's looking for a student. And I was just like, I don't know, can I really take on a second? And I was like, I reached out and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but can we talk about it and see? And it was just like, we went to lunch and I was like, we just clicked. Like, I was supposed to say like kismet. Like yeah, it felt it was, just it right. Was, it was totally, it just felt right. Like, she's just like, she's my, like my person. Like, um, and so, um, and everything lined up because the way her prenatal state, her, her prenatal days fell on days that were off days for me, typically with my first preceptor, she didn't, didn't have a ton of births. And so it was kind of like, okay, let's try this. Let's do it. Um, I also knew that she had just finished nursing school and, um, she teaches our didactics portion. So, um, the Arizona associations of midwives puts on, um, trainings for their students monthly. So we have a, uh, one didactic training a month and one, um, skills training a month and it's like dirt oh. cheap. And so it's fantastic and amazing. And I try to go to all of them. Um, but she puts on these like fantastic didactic trainings on all kinds of subjects. And, um, they're just so well thought through and like, she's so like dig into the research and like that's, and that's my totally brain. your jam. I was just going to yeah. say like, that is your jam down, yeah. down, right. Yeah. And so it's like, um, and which the other midwife I work with does too, but she's much more like, she's a little more woo, which I don't, mm-hmm. it's not a great word to say, but it's, you know, it's just kind of the clientele she attracts and, um, I love that for her. And it's, she just, she fits perfect. And like, it's so her, and it's just, it's not me. On that. Right. <laughs> it's 
Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so, but I have adored working with both of them. And so, um, so the second midwife that I have, um, that I joined on with, um, she's just been fantastic and great and amazing. Um, and we've had some really hard times. Um, hi, sorry, the dog's, <laughs> the dog's back. Um, and so the first birth that we did together was a, we ended up having a fetal loss. And so, um, it was a lot. And so, um, and it was actually the weekend that Augustine was here, um, teaching. And so it was like, there was this, we went and all of this happened and we actually didn't know what was, um, how the baby was going to do. Um, and, but it was so amazing. And it was just like walking into this community of midwives. It's like, I didn't even have to say anything. And it was like, they're like, what's wrong. Um, and I just like felt enveloped and like loved and, um, like taken in and all I have had a number of midwives reach out to me over the past, um, mm. you know, four months or so. And it's just like, Hey, I just want to check in. How are you doing? And they're not my preceptors. They're just like midwives in the community that I know and like have been around and been a part of, but like, they're not, they have no like obligation or like, they're just, they're just there. They're just, and so it's like to know that that community is there, like, is another reason that I'm like, I don't want to walk away from finishing my CPM because this is the community that I want to learn from. Well, maybe you could work as a CPM while in nursing school. Like, I mean, of course, maybe taking like one client a month or something because you're really busy, but like you said, you have a lot of prerequisites to get into nursing school to begin with. Then it's nursing school. Then it's another program after nursing yes, school. For those of you is. who are thinking about doing a CNM, it's not just like nursing school and then a test and you're a CNM. It's it, first of all, probably like a, what would you say a year of prerequisites to before nursing school? Um, for me, yeah, it's probably gonna take a year, but I've been doing like one class at a time. So you could, I could bump it up and make it get into nursing school quicker. But some but, people don't even have the prerequisites to do the prerequisites. Yes. Right? That, like and that's, that's something I was looking at is like, you can't take microbiology a, before yeah. taking anatomy and physiology before taking biology yeah. one, and, right? Like there's that's, this- that's most of the reason why I'm doing one class at a time because right. most of them are prereqs for the rest of them. So the it's like do one and then do the next. And then, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So, you know, you prereqs for nursing school, two years of nursing school, then two to three years of essentially, or four years of nursing school, if you're getting a bachelor's in nursing, right. Yeah. It depends. So there's two bachelor's our- and be an RN or a bachelor's in nursing yeah. moved on, moving on. Yeah. So our, um, uh, community college here actually has a really great program and it's like a dual enrollment. And so mm-hmm. you can get your bachelor's at the same time as your nursing degree. So cool. hopefully yep. fingers crossed, if it all works well, it should take me two to two and a half years to get the nursing degree and you'll done be, with the bachelor's. So what's so. your timeline look like right now? Like when do you plan on being a CPM, passing MAP, PEP, being a CPM? And then when does nursing school end and masters of nursing begin? Yeah. So the, the hope and goal, if it all goes to plan, right, which, you know, <laughs> probably won't, but, um, to be done with my CPM and sit for NARM in the spring of 2023. Um, so a little over a year out, um, and then would start nursing school that summer. Um, uh, I would hopefully, um, the hope is to get into the dual enrollment program. 
um, mm -hmm. which is a competitive program to get into. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but that starts summer and then it's a two year program, two and a half year program, I guess. Um, it's, it runs like summer, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring is right. what it runs. It's six semesters or however you want to count the summer, but, um, and then the master's program, um, I am not hundred percent sure where or what that'll lead because there's so many options for CNM. Mm -hmm. Um, and we actually have another one that's um, our, the college, the university south of us in Tucson is looking to um, start a midwifery program. And so, you know, that program is like two and a half years, but there are other programs that are two years. It just kind of depends on where you're at and how stuff gets added and what stuff has changed at that point. So I'm not putting eggs in a basket, too many eggs in that basket because it's, it's still a ways off, but um, I think the end of, uh, 2027 is the goal Okay. okay. <laughs> um, before that. Let's follow this along girl. Everybody who's watching Laura, let's yeah. follow her along. So, you know, so you could um, be a midwife though for like five years yeah. while going to school. I mean, again, yeah. And that's, that is going to be full, full we, time. But. We have a number of birth centers here that give great options for, um, CPMs that can take right. call schedules that can do, sure. um, you know, that kind of stuff can do backup work can maybe take a client a month kind of thing. So that is also another reason I'm like, I don't, I want my CPM. I want to be able to yeah. use it to do birth. I don't want to, um, I don't want to shelf birth. I don't yeah. want to um, not be in the birth world um, for five years. Like that is something by the end of it, I know I would be totally burnt out. So I know I have to keep my toes in it somehow, some way to like be a part of it. And um, yeah. So, so we want to hear a birth story and it can be a birth story where you learn something about yourself you know, like a growth opportunity. It can be something you like really want to apply a clinical, like, you know, skill to, to up, totally up to you. Um, it can be a, a hard birth story, you know, if you yeah. wanted to tell us that too. Um, you choose. Um, so <laughs> I'll tell you about the, um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we had a mama that birthed a 10 pound, one ounce baby at home okay. and didn't care. Um, <laughs> and so it was a, it was a birth and that's my second preceptor. Like, you know, we click, we, I adore her and she sees, she just sees in me that like the skills that I have that I don't know I have. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and so it's like, okay, so, you know, we've been to a couple of births. She's like, so you can, you're going to catch this baby. I'm going to stand right next to you and you're going to catch this baby. And I'm like, okay. Like okay. out of the blue, like you were, like you didn't plan There's, on doing any catching. Um, we, had, we had talked about like most, you know, we've talked about it. And then, but every time I walk into a birth, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be different. And I don't know if she's going to want to catch. Yeah. And she's just like, okay, so you're going to catch feel the baby, right? right? Yeah. Like it has to. And so now we've gotten to the rhythm. She's like, I'm like, okay, if I'm at a birth with her, I'm typically the one that's catching. And she's, you know, she's here. Like she's not. Sure it's not like she's standing on the other side of the room letting me do all the things, but she's like, you're going to do this. Like, I'm going to be right here. If you need my hands, they're right behind yours, you know? And so, um, so we had this 10 pound one ounce baby that was our second birth in 12 hours. Um, and mom, like we were at a birth was great, beautiful butter birth. 
um, got called at the end, like, hi, I'm in, I think I'm in labor. And so we both went home, got about three hours of sleep and went back and I showed up at this house, at this mom's house. I mean, preceptor had gotten there before me. Um, and this mama was, um, was a multi, it was her second baby. And so, and she had birthed a big baby before. So we weren't like, we weren't shocked that this baby was going to be big, but it was, you know, we kind of expected it. And so I, I, I walk in and she's sitting on the couch and I'm like, why are we here? Like, right. you know, she's you just, just chilling this, watching like, TV yeah, or something. She's just <laughs> chilling. Like she's got her whole family there. Like they live in like a multi-generational household. And so I'm like, there's a lot of people and there's, this mom does not seem to be in labor. And I'm like, I talked to my preceptor and I'm like, so what's going on? And she's like, well, I checked her before you got here. She was seven. I was like, oh, we're not leaving. <laughs> um, and, um, and so it was just like, I was like, okay, well, what's like, let's get, let's get stuff set up. And so we got stuff set up and it was like the most chill birth. And I was like, we were hanging out in the kitchen and they were in their bedroom and, um, you know, but at some point we're like, where's this baby? Like, where's this baby? And she started getting pushy and we're like, okay, great. And then stuff just petered out. And it's like, I know, like, you know, we chatted and there's totally this spot where, um, it's totally normal that before you start pushing to stuff to kind of peter out and sleep we, and have a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so she's like, you know, um, um, Wapio and the Matrona, she, she, she calls it the quietude, which I really mm-hmm. love. And it's just like, okay, it's quiet. It's this peaceful moment that like everything's still, and we're just kind of waiting on this baby to like make its grand entrance. And so, but then it kind of just started like, it's, you know, half an hour, an hour. Like we got to the point where we were like two hours and we're like, nothing's happening. Like her, her contractions had spaced way out and slowed way down. And it was just kind of like, "Mm, what do we do? What do we do? And so um, I was like, well, let's, gotta get her up like she's rested right like she's (laughs) it's been four hours hours of sleeping (laughs) and now she has no contractions yeah so I'm like okay you you're sitting in at like seven so we checked her again and she's like a nine with a lip and having no contractions I'm like oh my god okay so we got up and so in addition to all the other things I mentioned in the beginning I'm also a spinning babies parent educator Mm -hmm. and um and so I'm like, that's what where's baby? My, yeah, <laughs> where's that's baby? Where's baby? That's where my preceptors are like, okay, do your spinning babies thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they both know spinning enough spinning babies, but they're like, you know, plenty more. Like, go do your spinning babies thing. And so we're like, we get this mom twisted upside down, and I'm like, you know, she's off the edge of the couch, and we're like shaking her bum, and she's just, she's just a trooper. She's such a trooper. Um, and at that point, my midwife was just exhausted. Like she had been up longer than I have, which is a perk of being a student that I don't have to field all the phone calls. So I usually get more sleep than my preceptor does. Um, and so I was like, okay, so she, I'm like, if you can't deal with this one, then call somebody else, call in a backup. I feel great. Like I'm like, I don't, none of this is, none of this feels wrong to me. And so um, she ended up calling in another midwife and the midwife that she called in is actually my future preceptor um, that I'm set to start births with in January. 
and was my midwife for my second baby when I Aww. had And so it was I love just that. Those, I love working I with just, the person that helped you with your baby. That's so cool. And I haven't, I hadn't had that opportunity yet. And so I'm like in all the, the years I've been doulaing and like been in the birth world, like it just hadn't, it wasn't the universe's plan for us to cross paths yet. And so this was the first birth we were at together. And she's not typically one that is, you know, if you're in phase two, you're assisting. And if you're in phase three, that's when you start right. catching. And so I was like, I had written it. I was like, cool. I'm not catching this baby. That's okay. It's I'm just excited. Like I'm just still happy to be here. And so sure. we did all these things with this mom. We, you know, lots of spinning babies, lots of belly lifts. And I had like taken over this birth basically because my preceptor and the, the two midwives were like, chatting and conferencing and I had just kind of like taken over the birth and I was like they're still in the room and nothing's really happening that I can't handle I'm you know do sure. her tones and all the things and um she's not having her contractions are still like 10 minutes apart and so you know we sit around the toilet and because the toilet's the magic and four or five contractions later she's like starts grunting and like making this you can tell that the baby's making movement like friendly yeah. babies make coming down so um the new midwife walks in the room and she's and we knew each other really well obviously and so she comes up to me and she's like so are you catching this baby or am I catching this baby and I was like oh, that is a okay. that is a question okay <laughs> right like that's a huge question like the fact that you're asking me is such a huge compliment and I was like well I'll catch this baby like I'm not you know I already have a rapport with this client and she doesn't and so um so this mom gets on her hands and knees on the bed and starts pushing. And it's just one of the few clients that I've had that is like, I don't want a birth tub. And I'm like, okay, which she wouldn't have birthed in the tub anyways, but it was kind of like tub wasn't even an option. So it's like, okay, what are we doing for the land to get you to get your baby out? So she gets on her hands and knees on the bed and she starts pushing. And, you know, we have, we finally start seeing baby's head and baby, you know, a couple of contractions, baby's moving each time. And so I go up to her and I was like, mama, we can see your baby. Like every time you push, I can see your baby. And it was just this, like such this tender moment between the two of us, like the whole rest of the room was like gone. And she's like, oh my God, are you serious? You can see my baby? Um, Cause we had talked, there had been a lot of transfer talk yeah. because yeah. you know, she's, this baby's not going and we're really worried that she's having a really big baby. And um, but nothing indicated that we needed to transfer and she, right. didn't want heart to, tones were fine. Vitals were fine, were fine yep. except, you know, ooh, just, what, you know, long. progressing until she wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and she was like, I feel good. Like she got her two hour nap basically. And so, um, she pushed this baby out and her husband, I like helped her husband catch baby and like, we put baby up to mom and it was just this, this, like just this most endearing moment of like her mom came in and her mom, like you can tell English is a very second language for her. So she speaks, she was speaking Spanish. And so it was like this just super endearing moment of just the three of them. And like, we were just witness to it. And it was just like, oh man, it was just like the epitome of like what home birth should be. And it was just such a huge win because with COVID, I feel like this is not just a me problem, but like we have had so many transfers and either it's like baby slides out and there's no issues or we transfer. There's no like mm -hmm. try to fix things and baby still comes out. It's like, it's so it's just like the fact that it's like, okay, we did have to fix something and something was not quote unquote normal, but we still had all the knowledge in the room 
to make her feel safe and to keep them both healthy um, and that she still birthed this baby. And we wait, this baby was a tank. He was 10 pounds, one ounce and 22 inches long. And I was just like, you birthed a six week old. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and she was just like beyond excited and so happy. And it was just, I don't know, it was just a beautiful moment. Um, and I got to help Dilla help her birth the placenta and my precept, the, my, my, she's, I guess she was my preceptor for that birth, but she's mm-hmm. going to be my preceptor. And she was just like really encouraging and like right over my shoulder and like, and so, um, it was just this whole big circle of like, it felt like one preceptor handing me off to the next, even though we still had a couple births left. Um, cool. with my birth, so. Yeah. So was it like at that birth where you guys kind of chatted about doing precepting together or was it later? Oh, we, we had taught, actually it was earlier. So like, um, this, my new preceptor is like, she's like the epitome of organized. Like I, she needs to make a course <laughs> in like how to organize your practice because it's yeah. just yeah. like, it's just, she's got all the things in order for, you know, it's, it's great. And most of the midwives in our community are like, I wish I could have be as put together as she is. And so she knew six months ago that she was losing a student at the end of the year because she was finishing and wanted, needed a new student to come on. And she's just picky about who she brings in. So we had had the conversation. Um, and I, she knew I was in a position, both my preceptors currently are going to are stopping taking clients. So I was kind of putting it out there. It's like, so if anyone needs a, needs a student in 22, like, let me know. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so, it sounds yeah. like you have a lot of good, like you said in the beginning, good community in Arizona with options and like yeah. your way of finding good preceptors was to just be part of the community and be out there all the time and things like that. And we talked a little bit about some of the, um, laws in Arizona, which have obviously prompted you and obviously several other midwives to move into like a CNM space, but what, like give your, give these listeners a little bit of an example of, um, a struggle in an Arizona law, like, okay, this whole, you had a hemorrhage, you used Pitocin, which you're legally able to do, but then you have to transfer afterwards. Take that technically you are supposed to transfer afterwards. Technically you fix the problem. Yes. And you were supposed to transfer and their classification of a hemorrhage is 500 milliliters. And so it's like, which is normal blood loss, which even the hospital. I know it's just going to say it's actually not like ACOG specifically stated in 2019, the new is 1000, but okay. Yes. And so (laughs) with the state, so our midwives are, our CPMs are under the board of health. So the Arizona department of health holds our board, holds our laws. We are one of the only professional medical groups that does not have its own board. So nursing, so CNMs run under the nursing board. Right. And so they have their own laws and their own guidelines, um, but they have prescriptive writing privileges and Mm -hmm. they're able to, you know, they're able to give those out. And so that's part of the issue is that we don't have prescriptive privileges. And so if you give Pitocin, then it's like, you should transfer because it's, it's obviously an emergency that you're getting Pitocin. Mm. Um, our midwives are not technically allowed to carry side attack. We have nothing in our rules about, um, IVs or antibiotics. And so it's like, it's a super gray area. It's like, what do you do if you have GBS? You have to, the clients have to hire somebody to come in on addition to their midwife to give them antibiotics. And it's like, it's only, it's one of those, like, well, if they're available. So, (laughs) 
like there's ways around it. And so, you know, I've had clients that it got GBS or got um, antibiotics for GBS at home, but it's like, well, grandma was a nurse. And so she put the IV wow. line in. Husband was an EMT. So they put the IV line in because we don't technically have like IVs are a super gray area, but they're right. It's, if it's not written as legal, then it's written unwritten yeah. as on is illegal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have our code around, like we can do VBACs at home, but they're, they have to follow Nagel's rule. Um, not Nagel's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the one where they have to, they have to progress Friedman's curve. Meter an hour. Friedman's curve. There you go. I'm like, Nagel's is not right. Um, but we do, we have to go off of Nagel's. We have Nagel's is the only, um, rule that we're allowed to use to, um, due dates. classify due dates. And so, and it's like at 49 or 41 weeks and six days and 23 hours we have to transfer like as soon as they hit 42 weeks we can't we can't Mm -hmm. be there so if they're in labor you have to walk out of the the house and be like hi you're on your own or you have to transfer in because nothing like yeah um so there's just lots of really not great things that could make home birth so much safer if we were able to legally do. And so my husband, when I talked to him, I was like, so I'm just going to commit less felonies, but I'm going to go to school longer. How's that sound to you? Cause there he's are like, advice. sounds great. I'd rather yeah, great. debt than you in jail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause that's going to end up know, with a million dollar bond anyways. Yeah. So yeah. it's just one of those, like the laws here are not good. They're not, they're not good. And they don't want to reopen them. And so it's like, we, I think our laws were open six or seven years ago and like they got improvements made, but then the board's like, that the board that doesn't know anything about midwifery is like, Oh, no, that's enough. We're good. And mm-hmm. so they actually just opened this year and it was like, they just changed wording on stuff. Cause like technically they have to review our laws every X many of years because of whatever, because we sit under the department of health, but it was like, they didn't give us any opportunity. We had like this four day window to like put in and submit stuff that we we're hoping yeah. to get changed. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really random stuff. It was like they, in half the law and half the rules, they were trying to change your mother to client. And then in other parts, they changed client to mother. And we're like, just leave it at client. Why are we trying to like put these ambiguous terms of like gender into our rules? Like that's a whole nother ballgame that we don't need to go there. Like if you've got the parts downstairs, like have a home birth, like that's, you know, um, and that shouldn't have to be in our laws. Like that shouldn't be anywhere. And so they were, you know, it's like stuff like that is what was changed, but like they wouldn't change the hemorrhage to back to like up to right. a thousand, even though that's right. what ACOG's guidelines are. But I mean, there's not a home birth midwife that I know that's going to let a person get to a thousand before they are giving Pitocin. Like, right. I mean, and so that's your problem is now you get yeah. fit and you transfer and the, right. and the birthing person can even say no, and you right? still could lose your license over it. Yeah. Or <laughs> you give pit and you can't chart it because right and then so then it's like how does the chart but then how does the chart look like we can't what's not our you know sometimes the charting's not perfect because but how does that look for future Mm -hmm. so if they move states and we try to transfer records and it's like yeah future care is like based on what we're saying and it's Mm -hmm. so interesting well so what would be some advice that you would give students or a student today or a midwife or a student midwife or a preceptor, like what's some advice you really want to give out? Um, 
find somebody to walk this journey with you, like make friends with other students. Um, I have another student midwife that I, um, we just kind of, we were friends before this and kind of happened into this journey. She always knew she wanted to be a midwife, but um, I kind of pushed her into it going a little faster, I think. <laughs> um, I don't know, or we fell into the path at the same time, but it was, and so we're kind of walking this path together and it is beyond helpful to be like, so what are you doing on paperwork here? Or what are you doing with this? Or how is the preceptor treating you? Or how are you doing this kind of stuff? Like, where are you at in your journey? Cause we're really, we're pretty on task. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where she goes, um, because she's actually starting a meek, um, program. So it'll be interesting to see how that shifts her journey and, my journey and, and changes with both of yeah. you. Yeah. That'll be really cool. And maybe you could like have a practice together, a CNM and a CPM, like oh. that would be badass. That's yeah. exactly. Cause so. then you could blend those two things together with your yeah. scope and right. her training. Yeah. Which so, we have in the Valley a little bit, but, um, you not, all, not enough, not enough. Yeah. So where can people find you like to donate to your journey or to follow your journey? So Instagram, Facebook, cash app, Venmo, all those fun yeah. things. So, um, I am, um, on Instagram and Facebook as birth with knowledge. Um, though I haven't been super active, <laughs> um, due to, being in <laughs> birth and with two preceptors and all the kinds of things. Um, but I'm at birth, birth with knowledge is the, is my business name. Um, if anyone wants to donate to the journey, I'm Laura dash Fiala on, um, on Venmo, which is L O R a dash F I A L A. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll keep following you and, you know, 2023 start celebrating your CPM and 2027 <laughs> celebrate your CNM and that's, that's um, the goal. <laughs> yeah. I hope to have more community midwifery with you, even as a CNM, like yeah. we'd love to, to continue to support that. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we let you go? Um, I don't think so. I'm always happy to chat. So if people have questions, they're welcome to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's awesome listening to your story. I can't wait to follow your journey. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.